Hey there, art lovers. Mike Henley here, and I'm excited to welcome you to the Drawing Inspiration Podcast. In each episode, I'll be bringing you along on my journey. In each episode, I'll be bringing you along on my journey as I explore what it means to be an artist. But don't worry, it's not just going to be me talking about my favorite tools and sketchbooks the whole time. I'll also be chatting with other talented artists about their experiences and sharing some of my own insights and reflections on my art journey. So come on in, get comfortable, and let's get inspired together. Episode 95, Painting Hope and Peace, Dr. Marisa Azad's Vision for the Future of Art and Medicine. Hey there, and welcome back. I have a few updates, and we'll go right into that interview. Something exciting happened since the last episode, and that is I launched my first course. This is in collaboration with Etcher. The course is called Textures and Depth with Graphite Pencil Drawing, and in it, I draw a bullfrog. And through that exercise, I kind of teach you how to create textures, be light with the pencil, uh, kind of outline how I approach something like drawing a bullfrog. I start with kind of showing some of my work, showing some of my tools, and then I use Procreate to show you how I think about an image before I draw it. And then I spend an hour and a half drawing the bullfrog. And so the way this works is I recorded everything in advance. This is how the etcher kind of experience is. I record everything in advance. And then on the day of kind of the live launch, they play the video and I comment over it about what I was working on. And it also provides an opportunity for people who are part of that live experience to come in and ask questions and comments and things like that. And then they record that experience and that becomes available to others in the future. So this is within kind of the, the paid platform that Etcher has available. And so if you were there for the live, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate you being there. And if you missed it, you can go back to it. I think it's going to be live soon. The recording will be, and you can go watch that. And if you become a member of this Etcher Studio community, you can enjoy my course as well as many others. It was so much fun. I had so much positive feedback People are posting their bullfrogs and tagging me, and it was a wonderful experience to the point that I think I'm going to do more of these. Um, It may be with Etcher, I don't know, but I have a few planned, and uh, I think I want to do more of this kind of stuff. So keep an eye out. I'm going to be doing more. I already have, I think, six different (laughs) ideas laid out, and so I'm pretty excited about this. The experience was great. That idea of kind of putting this recording together And being able to comment live on it, I think, is a really great idea on Etcher's part to ensure good quality course content. And uh, at the very end, I was able to kind of switch cameras and show some of my my thoughts on a couple of pieces I'm working on. So I'm really happy with that platform. I think it's an opportunity for not just creators who are producing this content, these courses, but it's also an opportunity for students and people that just want to learn to take in courses like mine or watercolor, oil, acrylic, ink. They have a huge number of courses available on their platform. So I think it really is a good opportunity if you want to learn more about creating. So if you're there, I encourage you to check out mine and tell me what you think. I'd love to hear from you. And so I talked about this in the last episode. We're on episode 95. We are five episodes away from 100. And so my hope with episode 100 is that it'll be about you and the guests uh, and what you've gotten out of the podcast. I have a service called SpeakPipe that I'm using. If you go to drawinginspiration.fm slash contact, you'll see SpeakPipe right at the very bottom. And the neat thing about this app is it allows you to record directly in the browser. 
I've expanded the time to five minutes, so I do ask you to keep it kind of at two or three minutes. And I'd like to hear from you. Like, what is your what was your favorite episode? What is something that you've learned? How has the the podcast impacted your creative journey? And even if you've only listened to this episode or two or three other ones, it doesn't matter. I want to hear from you. And if you're okay with it, I'd love to share these audio clips in episode 100. So episode 100 will be a mix of your thoughts, as well as uh, thoughts from other uh, guests that have been on the show as well. So I think it'll be a bit of a celebration of what we've built here together in um, sharing content and and moving our kind of journeys forward with this exercise. So uh, this is a passion project for me, and I enjoy the feedback. I enjoy all the connections I've made. It's been so huge. I'm going to go into a lot of that into episode 100, but I just wanted to remind you, if you haven't sent an audio clip, you've got uh, plenty of time still to do it. I think I'm probably going to end it middle of May. But And I've received some already, so I thank those of you who've sent it in. So uh, please send them in. I'm going to try and fit them all in. But depending on how many I get, we'll see. I'll have to probably go to first come, first serve or something like that. So uh, just keep that in mind. If you want to send an audio clip from your phone, if you're doing like a voice memo or whatever the case, as long as the audio is really good, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be with SpeakPipe. And just send it to mike at mikehendley.com. And I'll receive it that way as well. So uh, looking forward to hearing what you think and how the uh, the podcast has impacted your creative journey. So I've worked on a, a few pieces in, since the last podcast, the last couple of weeks. I did a, a, a Kingfisher, and I did that in a Starbucks, my, one of my typical places where I do my work. Starbucks or any kind of local coffee shop, I just love the white noise. And so I did this little quick, very quick ink drawing of a, a Kingfisher. In uh, once again my uh, Etcher A6 hot press sketchbook, and I sketched it out in ink, and then I came at it with watercolor, and I just kind of loved the blues. And with the blues, I I then did a uh, a blue poison dart frog, and that was a lot of fun. That I spent a little bit more time with. Um, once again, it was probably about forty five minutes, and I sketched it in ink. Uh, using the uh, the Sigma Micron pens. And then I came in with watercolor. And for that one, I used the Golden Core. Uh, that's Q-O-R, watercolors. And they just have so much vibrancy. And that was a lot of fun trying to achieve that kind of reflective uh, blue parts of its legs and its body and, and trying to get that reflected light. Uh, that was a lot of fun. I just love the blues on that. I could draw blue frogs all day. Blue frogs for the win. Uh, I just, I love that color and uh, I hope to do more of that kind of thing, but uh, that was really a lot of fun. And then the other piece I've started working on, which is much larger, that is a, a Lynx that is, uh, I think it's 11 by 17 and I'm using a Strathmore smooth paper with that. Uh, so I've only used my Pentel 0.3 millimeter with 2B lead so far with a little bit of a tortillon or a blending stump. I probably will come in with some different pencil. I'll think about that, but I just love working with the 0.3 millimeter. So that's probably going to take me a few weeks uh, in amongst the other pieces that I'm working on. I've got two acrylic pieces lined up and uh, I bought a few more brushes and I'll talk about that probably in the next podcast. But uh, trying to get to producing a little bit more work in uh, the, kind of the evenings and the weekends. And so the links is part of that. I'm trying to balance, as always, kind of my pencil work with 
the watercolor with the acrylic. I'm still doing some digital work, but not as much. But I'm really focused kind of on the acrylic, the uh, ink and the watercolor, and the graphite. So I'm trying to balance all of that out. So it's going okay, but it's been crazy, crazy busy. And I'm a bit behind on my YouTube journey, <laughs> but I am getting to that. I've got uh, a couple of videos recorded. I want to line a few up, and then I'm going to release them. So uh, a few things came up, and, you know, life kind of knocks on your door sometimes and says, hey, think about me, and uh, you get distracted with, with work and everything else. So it happens, but I'm going to get back to it, and I'm excited about what you think about some of my YouTube videos when they start coming out. So uh, I just want to make sure that I can commit to a regular schedule once I start releasing those, and then able to observe kind of the impact and, and where that takes me. That's it for updates. Now let's head into the interview. Today's guest is the multi-talented Dr. Marisa Azad, an infectious diseases orthopedic physician and scientist at the Ottawa Hospital, and a gifted fine artist known for her captivating digital oil paintings. From her early beginnings to her inspiring transition to digital art due to asthma, Dr. Azad's work explores the intersection of art, science, and medicine. As the lead researcher of the groundbreaking Art ICU project, she seeks to bring hope and peace to those facing loss and bereavement. Join us as we uncover her fascinating world where art and science meld into an unforgettable experience. To talk about her creative journey, I welcome to the Drawing Inspiration Podcast, Dr. Marisa Azad. Hello, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, for the sake of this interview as an artist, do I have your permission to just call you Marisa? Yes, absolutely. We're all we're all humans here. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. And we'll get to the doctor part because that's a huge component of who you are as as an individual, and it's tied to your art as well. And so we're going to dive deep into that. Just as a matter of disclosure, I don't know if I need to disclose this, but we do work at the same research institute, and uh, I think I reached out to you two or three years ago, <laughs> and finally got back to interacting with you again. I think you went off and did some academic stuff elsewhere, and then you came back. Yeah, I'm back now. <laughs> <laughs> so I just found it interesting that you're, you're back, and there's so much press around your work and um, on kind of the research and the science level. And I really want to explore the art bit, but there is that connection, and that's going to be kind of exciting to explore. But I wanted to highlight this thing. I went and, as I do, as a matter of all my research, I went and looked at your LinkedIn profile, and maybe you can, you know, when we talk about the science, you can explain more about your, your MD, PhD, and what you've done there. But what I find really exciting is that you identify as a fine artist first. <laughs> <laughs> and I just think that's, that's wonderful. I mean, for all the time and effort and effort and effort that you've put into the MD, PhD, and all that work that you've been doing there to call yourself a fine artist first in LinkedIn, I think is just, uh, that's wonderful. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, um, uh, I I think that first and foremost, I do identify as an artist, and I really appreciate you noticing that. Um, but I also believe that art and science go hand in hand, and they're not mutually exclusive. Uh, they're actually quite complementary to one another. And I think that's a huge part of my personality. I have this art-science split in my brain. So thank you for noticing that. <laughs> That's that's great. I'm gonna try. We'll try to decouple those two, and then maybe maybe bring them back together partway through the show. But I think that's exciting. And I I'm really, you know, I'm always excited to hear about how people started as a matter of creatives, right? And I think I'm more interested in in your story because you've got that art and science component to you. So I'm wondering if you can 
flip back in time to when you were young and, you know, were you a creative child? Were you science oriented? Uh, how did that, how did those levels adjust, you know, as a child and then moving through teen and into uh, high school? That's an interesting question. I, I apparently started uh, drawing when I was five years old. Uh, and this, the story goes, my dad was on the phone and he was doodling while he was talking to his friend on the phone. And apparently I took the sketch pad and I took his pen and he was drawing Mickey Mouse and I drew another Mickey Mouse next to his. And, you know, my dad took the notepad and he went, you know what, that's actually better than mine. (laughs) (laughs) And I I don't remember this, of course, but uh, what I do remember is apparently ever since then, my, my dad was incredibly supportive and he said, you know, art has been in your DNA uh, since you were, you know, a very young child. And, uh, you know, he bought me these cheap little easels, like the little Fisher Price ones. And there are photos of me in the backyard and everywhere in the house, just, you know, using those cheap kind of watercolor palettes and painting up a storm. And, and you know, I eventually graduated to those little cheap kits that had the crayons and, you know, some rudimentary oils. And uh, I started playing around with graphite. And, you know, I started winning a bunch of art competitions in elementary school. I just, I absolutely loved it and I I couldn't stop. And I do remember kind of crawling into my dad's study and he had all of these beautiful hardcover art books with the Grand Masters. I remember there was Da Vinci and Van Meer, Botticelli, and I remember pouring over these books for hours and hours and hours and, you know, trying to look at how Da Vinci did fingers, for example. Everything was very elongated and uh, kind of disproportionate almost, and everything was focused on the anatomy. And then there was that side of Da Vinci's work, and I didn't know it at the time, but I was fascinated in the bridge between art and science then. You know, he he did a lot of uh, anatomy drawings and sketches and paintings, and uh, he was a scientist as well. And I think that kind of pushed me towards being interested in both worlds. Um, and then I started having my own art exhibitions as a child, and I eventually moved up or progressed, I guess, to the world of, of oils. And I think the rest is history. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. And it's it's wonderful to hear a parent being so engaged in fostering that kind of thing. And I know I think a lot of parents do it when kids are quite young, because they're it's it's how do you encourage creativity or how do you just keep them entertained? <laughs> and then maybe it gets to a point where they get closer to high school where it's like, okay, now what are you gonna do? What's what mm. what are you how are you going to make money? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How did that conversation happen as you got like into high school, looking at what was happening after that? Was that something that you were pushing towards that, you know, I really want to explore science? Or was that something that your parents had an influence on saying, you know, you're really good at art, but, you know, think about the science. So uh, that's interesting. So my my dad's a, he's a surgeon and I... He, he was always very supportive and he said, you know, you do whatever you want, you follow your dreams. Of course, you know, as any good parent would say, you do need to uh, survive. <laughs> and, you know, there's the whole starving artist 
kind of motif. Yes. Uh, but he said, you know, you you follow your heart. And what was interesting is that he just kind of observed me. And when I talked to him about this, he said, you know, you you really were interested in science too. And he said, I didn't know what you were going to be. And, you know, the the biggest thing for me is that whatever I do, I have to put 120% of myself into it, whether it's sports, you know, I went on to play at the, you know, Olympic level in soccer or music or writing or, you know, I just, I, f I find many different areas of life interesting and you, you know, you shouldn't limit yourself and the same thing goes with art. So I remember when I was in high school, one of my dad's colleagues, uh, Vicky Beamish was an artist and I think it was actually younger. I was in elementary school still. And he said, you know, you could consider kind of seeing how she she's working as an artist and she she does a lot of realism beautiful wildlife artwork and she took me under her wing at that time when i was very young and i'm very grateful for that experience and um but then you know as i went into high school i remember taking my first biology class and i did my first exam and my mark wasn't perhaps it wasn't the best in the class and i remember thinking my goodness you know i i don't know why i didn't do as well as I wanted to on this, but I thought, you know, biology is fascinating. And I, I remember seeing the first picture of a bacterial cell going, first off, that's a beautiful piece of artwork that some <laughs> artist <laughs> made of a, of a schematic of a bacterial cell, but also I want to learn more about this. So that, you know, I thought, okay. And then on top of that, I, I learned that if you're, if you're truly passionate about something, you shouldn't make it a job. So I found that, you know, for art, for me, you kind of have to be in the right zone. You can't force it. it art is, it's difficult to force, uh, as I think you, you know, perhaps yourself and many other artists can appreciate, um, you know, something that kind of has to be a bit organic. Uh, so that's where I, I went down the science pathway, but art, it never, it never left me and, you know, as you had correctly identified, I'm an artist first. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. And so, you know, you're an MD, PhD, which is a large commitment of time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Can you speak to maybe your training and, and what you do as kind of your day job? Yeah, absolutely. So I completed a combined uh, MD-PhD in microbiology uh, at McMaster University. And then I uh, went on to complete an internal medicine residency at McMaster University. And after that, I did a, a fellowship in infectious diseases at the University of Ottawa. And then after that, <laughs> I did an advanced uh, postdoctorate an advanced uh, fellowship at the Mayo Clinic uh, in Rochester, Minnesota, which was an amazing experience. Uh, I learned very cutting edge techniques uh, to diagnose bone and joint infections, uh, which is what I'm a specialist in now uh, back at uh, the University of Ottawa and the uh, Ottawa General Hospital, so TOH. Uh, so here um, I've started a one of the first programs in Canada that aims to treat patients with a devastating uh, type of infection called uh, periprosthetic joint infection. And that's essentially where, you know, so many people suffer with, you know, osteoarthritis or joint problems. They get their joint replaced. You get a metal implant in there hoping to improve your life, improve your functionality. But then unfortunately, 
you know, one to two percent of these patients will get a devastating chronic infection called periprosthetic joint infection. Very difficult to treat, very difficult to manage, and absolutely devastating for patients. So I've started this joint infectious diseases and orthopedic surgery program here uh, with Dr. Simon Garceau, uh, Dr. George Gramatopoulos, and I'm very excited to uh, to try and help this patient population out. And at the same time, I have a lab here where I'm working to better prevent and diagnose these infections from a basic science perspective. So I'm studying the microbiology and biochemistry of these infections. That is incredible. <laughs> I, I'm so impressed that, you know, you've done all of this, right? And <laughs> and you're such an underachiever. <laughs> <laughs> You're too kind. <laughs> of, course, of course, I'm kidding. Um, it, it was it was interesting to hear you could you could hear the science brain kind of pushing the art aside there for a little bit. Yeah. As, Sorry as, about that. <laughs> as you're introducing yourself at uh, at a uh, at a grand rounds, um, but uh, it's wonderful to hear because I think you know the thing with art is is anyone can access it, right? Like whether you have an MD PhD or whether you're just retired. And you're just learning it for the first time, or you're a teenager listening to this, and you're still trying to get a grasp as, as to what you want to do. It's accessible t- to all of us. Like yep. there's no like w- we can all be artists, and we can all have these conversations. And you and I are having this conversation. I don't have a degree of any sort, and we're just able to connect here uh, about art. So I think that's wonderful. So I'm going to bring back Marisa Azad, the artist, into the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, once again, I'm just I'm I, I feel honored to have you here, uh, just representing kind of everything that's been part of my life with regard to health research and art. So, if we look to the art component, when you were going through that, you know, MD PhD and all the other stuff that you did as a matter of the specialties, were you still drawing? Were you still painting through all of that? Uh, yes, absolutely. I find that you know, as much as I love science, there has to be a bit of a a kind of different part of your brain that has to be drawn in and you know we all we all kind of need a at least for me I need to reset the way that I think you know science is very cold and calculating and there can be a pleasure associated with that right there can be algorithmic at times there is something comforting about that but at the same time there's a lot of unknowns in science which is where art comes in at least for me so throughout my entire life, no matter what I'm doing, especially during my PhD, I ensured that I carved out time to paint because it really helps me to relax. It helps me to think about challenging problems in a new way, kind of a new standpoint. It helps me to problem solve. But I think most importantly, it helps me just to, you know, there, there's life outside the lab. There, there's a whole other side of, of life that you need to make sure you don't lose sight of. Is it, I mean, it must have been hard carving out time when you've got rounds and you're coming off clinic <laughs> <laughs> to sit and draw or paint. Um, do you still give that priority now? So for me right now, <laughs> I have, I tend to have bursts of activity. Uh, maybe I procrastinate. I, I don't know. I, or maybe I'm a bit scatterbrained at times, but I, for art, at least I have moments where that's, that's all that I do. You know, patient care never ends, of course. I mean, you know that we, we all, every, everyone in healthcare knows that, but it's important to say, okay, you know what? In about one month, I have two days. I have one weekend off and I'm going to do nothing but paint. 
And for me, like I'm a bit of a night owl. I will just sit there and nothing else exists except finishing that painting. That's how I operate, at least. <laughs> do you have any ritual? I usually ask this later, but do you have a ritual around painting? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it may be a bit weird, but... <laughs> Bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> well, so this, this, the first part's boring. I, I have to have a caffeinated beverage. It's usually coffee, so I make my coffee... And uh, once I'm I'm ready to go, I'm you know sufficiently jittery. That's when that's when I start, and I have to have music on. And if it's overstimulation is better for me. I don't know why, but uh, I usually will have the TV on, a movie that I know inside and out, as well as a piece of music that I know inside and out. And by inside and out, I mean I can predict every single note, crescendo, decrescendo pause i can hear someone breathing in as the wind instruments come in or you know th- this is the weird part i i i love having the lord of the rings trilogy on whenever i have to finish a a painting or i have a tight deadline or i'm even doing a scientific you know if i have a grant due i just find it comforting to have lord of the rings on <laughs> <laughs> i wonder what the show art should be for this <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, it's wonderful. It's because people struggle with that sometimes, right? Getting in the zone. And it's it's funny, but it's also wonderful that you're able to find that, right? And I can appreciate having that ability to distract your mind with the... I, I may I immediately think that you're distracting your mind with all the math around you. Like when you think about music mm-hmm. and you think about all of this, that you, you, you're, you're distracting your math with your mind with all the scripts and all the math around you that you can elevate that creative component maybe. Um, and that kind of abstraction. That's, that's interesting. Uh, that's very interesting. I think you may be onto something there, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Let's write a paper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, no, I, I can appreciate that because I, when I used to write, and when I when I do art now, I can't listen to music that has words in it that I've that I haven't heard before, because yeah. it's. But I will listen to Pink Floyd, or I will <laughs> listen to all this other stuff because I'm an old dude. Um, <laughs> but I will listen to stuff that I know inside and out because I don't want to be bothered with anticipating what's next because I know what's next. But it 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 provides that kind of stream that I can float my creativity on that keeps my mind occupied, part of my mind occupied. I, I really like that. You know, I now that I think about it, I, I can't listen to music with words. I can't listen to opera. Um, and I, you know, it depends on, on my mood, but, you know, usually it's classical music, but sometimes it will be hardcore electronica or so, something without words. So that's, that's interesting. Huh. <laughs> Yeah, maybe we'll put together a Spotify playlist and we can share it on the podcast. It'll be very uh, diverse. That's right. A little bit of EDM and uh, Pink Floyd. Yeah. Yeah, so that's uh, because I I think we struggle a lot and it's good to hear that uh, uh, you found a niche and maybe somebody out there listening now can consider these opportunities, right? That Because I've struggled recently with trying to to paint and so I, I'm trying to bring in some sense, like some incense into my environment and just mm-hmm. trying to bring myself into a different space and it's helped a little bit with that Uh, Mm -hmm. but it's a matter of just flipping on that switch or maybe flipping off the switch for everything else which is which is really challenging yeah absolutely so i want to get into like we haven't really talked about how you do what you do so maybe let's explore that a little bit except you know you've you talked about starting 
with Mickey Mouse, and uh, then you, you mentioned oils. But so I'm wondering, what mediums have you worked with? I know what you're working with largely now, but maybe you can speak to some of the mediums you've worked with, and then we can get into what you're using at this point. Mm-hmm. So when I first started dabbling in art, I used graphite and charcoal. And I, I remember my favorite pencil was B2. My, my B2 pencil was always the shortest. <laughs> and then uh, I played around with acrylics uh, and oils, as well as watercolor. I have to say, watercolor is not uh, not, not my favorite. I, I, kudos to watercolor artists out there. I find it very challenging because you, you have to have a certain confidence in order to be a watercolor artist, I think. Because, you know, once, once that brush goes down, I mean... Ooh, <laughs> I it, <laughs> and the same thing kind of goes for acrylic, not to the same extent. Uh, I didn't like how quickly it dried. I, I with oils, I, I I fell in love with oils because you know you, you have a bit of time. You know you had got to wait for layers to dry and and all this. And you know the fumes were were quite bad. Um, and we can I don't know if you want to talk about this, but you know uh, I have severe asthma, and you know that's one of the reasons why I had to kind of transition. Uh, to digital oils, but for most of my life, I I, I did oil paintings, and wow. that that's my preferred medium. But I still do a lot of sketching. I think every every week I try to do make at least one sketch on paper. Yeah. Or awesome. Yeah. With your trusty pencil. Yes. <laughs> or a broken pen. Or whatever broken whatever pen. I have. <laughs> and I've heard this from a lot of people. Um, there's actually I had a. Um, an artist on here wrote a book called The New Oil Painting, where she talks about leveraging kind of modern tools to make it less damaging to you. So mm-hmm. she has a book around kind of addressing this, and I'll link to it in the show notes. And this is my cue to mention to people <laughs> that I do put together quite good show notes. And so all the names that Marissa has mentioned and everything that we're going to talk about is going to be in the show notes. So please check out those show notes. But yeah, so she did. She has a book out on this that may be helpful for those who may be struggling now with that. Because I know I've spoken to other artists who have problems with asthma, and oil has been challenging. Yeah. So I can appreciate that. And I can also appreciate your comment about watercolor. I think it took me six times to finally figure out oil, or sorry, watercolor. <laughs> and it's been liberating since. I, I've, I feel less stress. I feel, actually feel I'm quite comfortable with watercolor at this point, but I totally appreciate Like I did my first drawing in watercolor of a frog. I really love frogs, it seems. Um, <laughs> and I did this piece in watercolor and I came in to do the highlights at the end and I didn't even know about white watercolor and that it's really not a thing and so I came in to do it and it's like why aren't you working I was treating it like it was an oil or an acrylic right yeah yeah I've I've never used oil and then I came in and I was so frustrated by it and that sent me on the whole journey about oh I should use white gouache or I should protect my whites with like I I never really (laughs) knew anything about that Uh, but uh, yeah watercolor is it'll it'll drive you crazy yeah, good for you for sticking with it. I uh, I very young went. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna <laughs> time to move on. <laughs> well, my my previous guest Sherry Blaukoff, she talked about doing it when she was 12, and I'm thinking, you know, maybe we need that child mindset to embrace watercolor. Maybe it's hard to something. It's harder to accept as an mm-hmm. adult uh, because I, we want to control everything. That's, that's such a that's such a good point too. You know, you need to you need to remember to have fun, right? Uh, even even as we get older and 
art is supposed to be fun. You're supposed to have a sense of play with it. And the other thing about watercolor and, you know, it's interesting where artists end up, you know, some people love sculptures or architecture or, you know, writing the next big play, you know, whatever your your art form is, I find it interesting because I think the huge component of it is personality as well. And for me, you know, I the watercolor, I, I remember thinking, oh, you know, I wish I wish this was a bit of a bolder line or like how. And I remember digging as a child, digging into the paper, thinking, OK, maybe it'll make it a stronger color. <laughs> and then, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's challenging. I, it, and it's people don't realize this. Maybe some people do, but you it really starts with good paper. Like that's the big difference yeah. with watercolor is don't use newsprint <laughs> just do not use bad paper like you have to yeah. start with good paper you can do a lot with even just poor watercolor paint but yeah 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 absolutely so you transition to digital as being your your kind of uh, medium of choice so what are you using as a matter of tools and what application because your application is not what i expected you to be using uh, <laughs> but so maybe you can talk about that and, and maybe when you did this like how long ago did you move to digital so every time I, I was using traditional oils, it got to the point where I had to wear a mask. I ended up in the emergency department every single time. And, you know, it got to a point where I, I thought, you know what, I, I'm on all these inhalers and, and medication for my asthma. I can't allow my health to suffer, even though art is my life. And it, it truly is. So we did some research and about, I think, 12 years ago, maybe a bit longer, you know, give or take. Around then, um, I discovered the Cintiq art tablets, these Wacom art tablets. And it is, you know, I'm not a, a, a techie or the most technologically advanced people around, but it's just a beautiful piece of machinery. And, you know, I, I was I was hesitant at first, you know, I there's something about the feel of canvas. There's something about, you know, even though the fumes of oil paints and turpentine, and even when I tried walnut oils, I still was having asthma exacerbations. But there's something about that tactile kind of sensory experience about using paints. I thought, I don't know if this is going to work, but I, I saved up my money and I bought a top-of-the-line Cintiq art tablet, a Wacom tablet, and I have never looked back since then. It's... It's amazing. I actually use the exact same brushes that I do in real life. I use oil paints. You can mix your oil paints digitally. There's a little palette you can use. I use Corel Painter. And, you know, I'm very I'm a very simple person. I use probably really about three brushes most of the time, uh, 10 tops. And yeah, it's pretty much the same experience. If anything, I would say it's better because, well, A, my health <laughs> is not suffering. <laughs> And how big a ta- how big a Cintiq tablet is this? Oh, uh, it's uh, it's huge. It's the 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 biggest one. Uh, like twenty, probably twenty four inches, maybe somewhere. Yeah, in that space. around yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so this is just so people know, like Wacom used to have the small ones where you'd have to. There was no screen on it. You'd have to look at your screen, and you would use a stylus on this little device. But this is a screen that you write on, similar to an iPad. It's really just an iPad, but larger, but running different software. Yep. Yep. Okay. And you're still using that? Do you have it? Is it at work? <laughs> <laughs> I wish. It's very heavy and it's like bigger than me. It's like, <laughs> it's huge. I, 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 uh, 
So I take it, it's in my house. I have like a little room where I paint and and my art tablets there and facing the right way. So the sun doesn't, you know, just like you would in normal life when you're painting. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I would like to get a little one for the office, but unfortunately, you know, work. Is, <laughs> I don't know if I would have time to do that, but I do sketch quite a bit at work <laughs> whenever I can I'm on the phone or something. <laughs> would you consider like, an, have you tried an iPad? I have. I tried Procreate. Mm-hmm. My husband, bought it for me for my birthday last year. You know, um, I don't, I'm not a, I'm not a big fan. There's something about the way that the, the pen feels on the screen. It, it it's too smooth. The, I don't know. I'm not a tech person, the parallax, something, it just doesn't feel as comfortable as the art, the Wacom art tablet does. So I'm not going to change. <laughs> I think it's impressive that you're using Corel Painter. I'm not sure I... Most people rely on things like Photoshop, but uh, I've not heard many people using Corel Painter. I used to use Corel Photo Paint. I think it was called Photo Paint back in mm. the day, which is kind of their version of Photoshop. But uh, I've not heard someone using Corel Painter, but that's... If it works for you. Yeah, I, <laughs> I've heard fo- good things about Photoshop, but you know, with, with some of my artwork... I don't know if this has anything to do with it, why I didn't go with Photoshop. I'm, I'm quite happy with Curl Painter. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, I've had a, some people are like, oh, you know, with Photoshop, you know, you take like a, literally a photograph and you paint over it. That's, you know, but that's a misconception. So, for, you know, when I heard that when I started this journey a while ago, I thought, well, you know, this, I, don't, I don't even know how one does that. I'm not, a, <laughs> I, I'm not a tech person, but, you know, I think maybe as, as silly as that sounds, just hearing that a little bit before I, I started going down the, what is an art tablet? How does this work? I think that's one of the reasons I went to Curl Painter, but okay. I'm very happy with how it's working and yeah. Yeah, your your work is stunning. I mean, let's talk about the work. It is incredible. Uh, <laughs> I will link out to your profile and to your website where you can see some examples of your work. But it is just stunning. And uh, when we learn more about this, you'll you'll see that there's, you know, you really capture the essence of what what I think makes an artist great, and that is the story, right? And so the stories you have behind your pieces are incredible. And I think we'll we'll get to that. But I think your artwork is stunning and. Um, you know, I think some people marginalize kind of digital work, but I think it is an opportunity for us to to embrace creativity and uh, to hear your journey and the fact that you have this creativity that's trying to struggle with this overachievement in all the sciences <laughs> and that you're able to move that forward, even with asthma, into a digital space, I think is a wonderful opportunity and, and wonderful for all of us and the people that you impact with your work, that you're able to do it. Um, so I think that there is absolutely a place for digital work. And uh, your work is, uh, like you you have, I think, a bit of a uh, like a, a video, a stop motion, just kind of showing how you do your work, which is kind of wonderful to see as well. So, Oh, thank you so much. You've, you've had a lot of heavy hitters on this amazing podcast. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe let's get into this project that you started, because I think that'll tie nicely into you doing this work, your digital work. Uh, You started this project called Art ICU, and maybe you can talk through that, because that feeds into something else I want to get into. And so maybe you can talk about what you were doing with this and how that connects to your art and to your science. Sure. I... I remember this very clearly. Um, so I, I I try to paint for patients whenever I can. 
but when I was an internal medicine resident at McMaster University, I was on an ICU rotation. And f for those people who are listening, the ICU is, it's, I think, one of the greatest areas of, of human suffering in the hospital. You know, people are critically ill. It's, it's terrible for families and, uh, and for caretakers as well. There's a lot of burden for everyone trying to, you know, hoping that these patients get better when their prognoses are so poor. So I remember I was on call one night and I had really connected with this one patient in particular uh, and his wonderful family. Uh, his name was Chris Spring Springle. Um, and I have permission to talk about his, his beautiful story. And he too was an artist, but unfortunately he became critically very ill. And, you know, every time I rounded on, on Chris, you know, I'd, I'd see his beautiful family and they would share his artwork with me and we would talk about art and it was just it was like an oasis in the hospital for me and you know you get past all the beeps and the tubes and the machines you know trying to sustain this poor young man's life and then you know you're reminded that this is a human being and he's suffering tremendously and his family's suffering tremendously and that night um, I got a page and the nurse had told me that I had to pronounce this patient. I had to pronounce Chris. And it was uh, it was one of the worst nights of my life. And, you know, it, it was just terrible. I had developed such a connection to this patient and his family. And I remember going home the next morning after my shift was done, just kind of being in a daze. And I remember sitting down in front of my art tablet going, you know, I need to... I need to kind of, I need to get this off my chest. I need to kind of get out of that headspace and, and just think about what, what, what can I do to help this family? Because their son is, their son is gone. And that's how the art in the ICU project started. So I, I just painted, I hadn't slept in at least 24 hours, but I, I had to, I just had to paint something in honor of this young man's life. And I did the hummingbird hummingbird painting called Tooth of the Lion with the dandelions. And I thought, you know what, I, I'm going to present this painting to Chris's family in honor of his life. It's going to tell a story about who he was when he was well, prior to getting critically ill. And, and I just thought, you know, what, I'm going to, I'm going to keep doing this because I didn't know it would go anywhere, but I, you know, Chris's family was so grateful and they were shocked that this happened that you know someone cared enough to kind of do this in honor of their son and that's where it went I just decided to keep doing that to try and help patients and their families suffering with bereavement incredible story um yeah I'm gonna catch my breath here for a minute so I think that's hard I mean it's hard being in a hospital because you have all this equipment trying to get your attention whether you're a patient or whether you're a physician and it was wonderful to hear that you could shut all that out and have that experience with the family, but that you were able to move from that and invite it back in, that opportunity with the family to create this. And I think that's wonderful. I think that's, that's, where, that's what makes us human, is that ability, right? And we have to be open to that. And not all of us are in the same situation you are, but we have an opportunity to make an impact. And I'm glad that you chose that route at that time, because obviously it had... A significant impact on on his family, and it was part of his legacy. So you've delivered this piece to the family. 
and it was a story around what you had done. And this was based on the stories that, or the conversations you had with the family as well, right? But the hummingbird. Yeah. What did the family say? Oh, you know, um, Deb, his mother, I'm still in contact with her years and years later. We, we have such a strong bond now because of this project. And they, I think the biggest thing that we got out of this project uh, was that they just were grateful and it was it was the process of kind of co-creating each piece with the family. I think that process was healing uh, to the family to share all the positive, beautiful memories they had of their loved one. Uh, I heard so many just wonderful stories, uh, you know, very intimate stories about about these patients, and I. I never thought I would see families laughing and joking and, you know, just tears of joy uh, during each of these sessions that we had when I was talking to them and when, you know, my colleagues were talking to them, uh, Dr. Deb Cook and the team uh, as part of the Art in the ICU project. And I just, I thought, how amazing is this? You know, how resilient is the human spirit for this to happen over art? So how many times have you done this? Uh, at least, uh, at least, oh, I think ten to twelve. Uh, there, there are other paintings that I've done since publishing on on this study. So at least that that amount. And I, I still, I still do this, uh, not just for ICU patients, but you know, suffering is unfortunately universal. So let's speak explicitly because I think you've suggested that there was something more around the project and you worked with collaborators. So you actually had a paper around this. And maybe you can talk about this research paper for the person listening who's not in research, possibly not in science, explaining kind of what you were trying to address and what you found. Because I think people will feel encouraged by what you had revealed through this in dealing with what they're dealing with today or tomorrow and and knowing that this kind of research has been done by you and others and what your findings were yeah so uh so with this it was a, a paper published in uh, uh jam i believe so what we did is i created these paintings uh in honor of the lives of patients who have passed away in the icu and the purpose of my study was to try to use art as a vehicle to ease bereavement in families who've lost a loved one in the ICU. So what we did is we would sit down with the family, both formally and informally, and I would just talk to them. And what I learned is that just talking to people who are going through probably the worst time in their lives is in and of itself medicine patients and their families were so grateful just to have someone kind of go above and beyond just giving an antibiotic, you know, as, as great as antibiotics are, as an infectious diseases physician, you know, often we need more than that to heal, right? In certain situations, especially in the ICU. So I would sit down and members of the team would sit down and, and talk to family members. And I, I was interested in just knowing more about who their loved one was, what what did they love in life? What were their passions? What were their uh, goals? What, you know, even failures, just anything. I just want to know who they were as a human being, what made them tick. And um, through these, these stories and these interviews and exchanges, I learned so much about them and I would brainstorm, okay, how can I make a piece 
that celebrates their life. It just encapsulates their life for their families. And that, that was, it was a lot of work, but it was so fulfilling for me as a physician too. It was therapeutic for me and not just the families. That's what, that's what we found. And for the members of the team as well, you know, just kind of, just helping, helping out your fellow human being, I think is very therapeutic. So that's, that's essentially what the findings of the paper were. So I created at least 10 pieces for, for families, uh, presented them, shared the stories through art in honor of their loved ones. And then patients were just so grateful for this gift that they got. And, you know, I'm still in contact with some of these families and, you know, there, there was one, I I remember all their stories so clearly, but, you know, one painting I did called Four Rose, it was a a chickadee clinging onto a rose. Uh, That one's a a bit more concrete, but that's what I think the husband really wanted. And he told me that my painting to this day is right above his breakfast table. And he said, every morning when I have my breakfast, I look up at the painting and I speak to my wife, Rose. And I say, Rose... How are you doing today? I'm doing okay. I miss you every day, but I know that you're here with me. Just stories like that. Just I take I carry that with me every day. Yeah, that's uh, it's powerful. I mean, I I talk often about that we need to share stories about our art, and uh, so that people can look at them and say, "Do you like that piece? Let me tell you about it." And <laughs> you've, you, you've outdone you've outdone it. Um, and in, in such a in such a positive way, and I think that uh, this is the impact that we can have as artists. And I mean, you have your impact in, in in healthcare and research. I think you know everything you've done to date, and everything that you're going to do in the future is going to be huge. But even as artists, just being an artist, you can have an impact on people and enjoying the moment that was or the moment that could be. Um, so that's wonderful to hear. It's a good Thank story. You. Thank you. So I will provide a link to the paper because I think it's, I mean, it's, there's a portion of it, if not all of it is available because I was reading through it. So I'll, I'll link to it so people can get a sense, they can read through it themselves and, and uh, learn more about this. Cause I think it's, it's, it's great. You could bring this to somebody and say, look, <laughs> there is an impact I can have. And we all know somebody who's struggling or who's lost somebody. And maybe this would be a good time to ask you, like if you, we're not physicians, but we know people who've lost someone or who's going through, who are going through a difficult time. And having done this yourself, and we're an artist, how, what can we do here? Like, you know, I, I know the obvious thing would be, well, paint them something. But maybe you can talk through kind of maybe something that we can do to help these people. You know, art therapy has, has been shown to really help a lot of people suffering you know, with, with cancer or just chronic pain. So, so that's an avenue that I think perhaps is underutilized. And creating a, a piece from scratch in honor of someone, it, it, it's tremendously rewarding, but it, it's very, it's very time consuming and it's emotionally, it's, it's a bit taxing. Um, so of course, I, you know, I, <laughs> as great as that would be, uh, you know, as as you know, I'm sure, and all artists know, you know, every time you make something, especially when it's not for you directly, kind of it, it takes a lot of energy. It, it it's emotionally draining uh, at times. So there's art therapy. I've had art nights for for residents. 
I think that was great. I think art and burnout is something that is also underexplored. So there, uh, one of my uh, medicine colleagues had approached me about potentially leading a, an art session for, I think, some medical students here about, you know, just, you know, this is how this is how you can use art as an outlet or this is how you can potentially use it in medicine. So that that's something else you can do as well. It's interesting you mentioned this. I'm going to go to a story um, <laughs> <laughs> that I went into uh, my daughter's class. Uh, I think it was, I've said this story before, but uh, I think it's appropriate here. I was asked to come in and teach them about drawing, like, you know, because I just started drawing. This was a decade ago. And uh, I was asked to come in and, you know, it was more for the teachers wanting to expose the kids to different things. Right? Well, let's, <laughs> let's get, uh, let's get Mr. Henley to come in and do that. <laughs> and I went in and I taught them about perspective and shading and shadow and all of this kind of stuff, right? But what I did is I started with a little presentation. And my point in the presentation, and this all makes sense in a second, is that being able to draw or create art is more than being an artist. It's being a storyteller and it's being able to convey your ideas. So I said, you may be a police officer and you need to document an accident. You would be, it would be helpful if you knew how to draw. You may be a scientist who wants to share your ideas with another scientist. And this is an opportunity for you to draw it and share that idea with someone else. And then I use the example of, um, was it Voyager 1 that had the, the gold record, right? With the, yeah. the two human beings. I had to edit it because there were young kids. So <laughs> I blurred stuff. Um, but there's this whole opportunity for us to be able to tell stories, to share information by just drawing, right? It, it doesn't have to be painting. It could just be just drawing. And so I think there is a benefit, back to your point about teaching residents about drawing, that it kind of decouples us from the way we normally orient ourselves if we're not an artist, to think about the shapes, to think about light, to think about value. And it's interesting when you ask kids to draw stuff, what they focus on first. It's a lot of them go to landscapes, but some of them go to something very intricate and detailed. And so I would love to see that experience in older people. Oh, like draw something. What are you going to draw? I, ha I remember one child drew a, a tree with a vine winding up it, right? And other kids were like, I'm going to put a house and the sun in the top right. And, you know, the typical kind of approach. <laughs> and this other person's doing this. And I'm thinking, oh, my, you're blowing my mind. Like, why are you doing this? Uh, but, um, and it was, they were all impressive, but it was just interesting to see where people go with that. That's, that's beautiful. You know, I, I, I really like what you said there. You, you have to be a good storyteller as an artist. And you know, it doesn't matter if you're a cubist or a Baroque painter or a watercolor specialist, you know, it doesn't matter. You just have to, you have, to have a, a story behind it. And I think that's where the power really comes from. Yeah, and you have these powerful stories, these powerful images, I'm, we're going to have a really interesting one, I think, for the for the show art. So we'll have to figure out what that is. People listening, the person listening now will know what it is because they will have seen it. But uh, it'll be, I think, a special piece when we get to figuring out what that is. I wanted to ask you, you know, you've done a number of pieces. What for you has been a challenging thing to draw or paint? What what do you struggle with? Is there something and where somebody's like, you know, they really enjoyed this and you're like, oh, I can't draw that very well. Like, are, are, are there objects or challenges that you have around images? Are there things that you really love to draw and those that you don't? Or I say draw, draw slash paint. 
I used to do a lot of portraits. I don't particularly enjoy them <laughs> uh, because it's interesting. I I find that people want to look better than they are. <laughs> so there, there's a bit of a an expectation people and what there's there's added pressure to make sure that what you're painting is realistic of who the person is physically right you don't have a lot of artistic license with portraits so i i do them every once in a while but between you and me and i guess everyone else listening <laughs> there's only two other people it's the, <laughs> yeah they it, it it's a bit more tiring for me, shall we say. <laughs> and I see there's a lot of animals in your pieces. Do you enjoy drawing, painting animals? I love animals so much. I've been fascinated with birds and fish and just nature. is It's just beautiful. So uh, I think that's where a lot of my inspiration comes from. I use a lot of metaphors through various animals, particularly birds. <laughs> I've always wanted a pet bird, and then I went into infectious diseases and learned that they carry a lot of diseases. <laughs> That's where having a child like mine is maybe helpful. Yeah. <laughs> I rescued a, a cockatiel, and uh, oh. <laughs> it, was, it was like Easter, and it landed on my shoulder. And uh, what was odd is, I think a week before, my grandmother died, and she always had birds. So it was like, oh, this is a sign. Like, this is a oh. cockatiel in the middle of rural Ottawa. Like it is in the country. Like there are no houses around, right? I was wow. just, I would see this weird colored bird. It flies on my shoulder. And um, I, I drove home with this bird on my shoulder. I went into a pet shop to get a cage for it with this bird on my shoulder. <laughs> and it it uh, got it home. It fell asleep and we kept it for a while. I just, we couldn't keep it. It was, Aww. eventually we tried for so long, but anytime it saw somebody outside, it would set off the alarms and then <laughs> the dogs would start barking, and I was losing my mind. But uh, <laughs> I love all the other birds. <laughs> that's a beautiful story. There's something very magical and freeing about birds that I find. And when I was very young, um, there was a, a, a little bird, I think it was a sparrow, that landed on my shoulder in the middle of the lake in Adams Lake in uh, British Columbia. And it just sat on my shoulder for the entire summer. It would it would wait for me in the morning and I would feed it berries and bugs and it only landed on me. And at the end of the summer, its buddies came and it left. I was devastated. But what a magical experience. And birds are just, there's just something very magical about them, I find. Yeah. yeah. When I saw the chickadee, it was like, oh, we've got a, a place in our woods and my wife calls it Chickadee Hollow. She kind of uh, cleaned it out and you can go in there and sit and you could feed chickadees out of your hand um, so it's a, a nice place but um it here's another story as well the, uh, the butterflies are wonderful too and there is um i think it's called i think the painted lady um loves to land on people mm -hmm. and so uh, my mother passed away when i was quite young and so when the, we saw the painted lady here it landed on me and landed on my brother and it was like oh it's you know, it feels significant. And then I looked up, and I guess it's a defense mechanism by the male painted butterfly. <laughs> like, science ruined it for me. <laughs> Just ignore it. Ignore it. <laughs> Come on. Stop explaining everything. This is supposed to be magical. Yeah. Uh, but um, that's great that you're inspired. Is have there Has there been a piece that you've committed to and you you have to stop, that you have to put it away 
where it's it's like you can't go on and have you done it so that the point you'd never come back to it or how do you spin yourself back up yeah there there are uh, some pieces that are in varying stages uh, of progress uh, one in particular comes to mind uh, when covid started some of the you know most remarkable feats of humanity were seen you know we got a vaccine uh, that was rapidly put through and you know saved all these lives but at the same time we saw some pretty terrible things happening you know with humans in general and people were suffering so much for a variety of reasons during that time so I did a piece um, that I just can't get back to uh, maybe after this podcast, you you will have inspired me to finally finish it, but it it just kind of embodies that kind of chaos at that time for for the world, and it it was very simple, uh, <laughs> perhaps a bit too concrete, but it had a an empty bottle of Purell in the background with a dead goldfish in the foreground, and an empty toilet paper roll kind of in in between. And, uh, you know, I just can't finish it. I, I don't like where everyone was during that time. And every time I sit down and go, okay, you know what? This is actually 75% done. Just finish it. It's interesting. It's, it's weird. It's a weird painting. Mm-hmm. Just finish it. And I, I can't because all, all of those feelings of that time just keep kind of hitting me. So maybe the other way to look at it is it is finished. Like you've done what you needed to do on that piece, and that piece wasn't meant for anyone else. Mm. It was just meant for you. So, I mean, that's another way to look at it, because I think there is some therapy into, as you said, into what we're doing. And so maybe maybe it is finished, and maybe no one else needs to see it, and it's okay. But that sounds like an incredible... I'd love to see it. <laughs> you know what? But, after this, I'll put it on my website. <laughs> <laughs> But it is challenging. There may be life around us. It may be the peace. It may be life around us that causes us to stop. But we shouldn't feel like stopping is a bad thing that Mm -hmm. uh, we can move on to. Because you've moved on to other pieces from that, correct? Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And working in your role, like I don't want this to be a COVID podcast, but I mean, you've you've seen firsthand uh, a lot of this. And um, I I imagine that that piece must have been quite difficult and... um, you know, a bit of a struggle to put together as well. Yeah, it was uh, the. Ooh, there was there was just so much. I, I won't dwell on this, but you know, as we're all aware, just so much going on for all walks of life during that time. A lot of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. I feel that I think the uncertainty really, really got to people, and people were so isolated, and I felt terrible for my patients who had no one to talk to. So yeah, a lot of that was kind of embodied in that in that piece. Did you create more or less through the first couple of years of COVID? I think I've forced myself to be more productive from an art perspective during that time. I think just because of how dark of a time it was for the world, I thought, you know what, this is an opportunity to turn that into something positive. Let's increase our productivity a bit and just try to try to make some more art. Has your style changed since you've been working creatively, let's say, in the last I don't know, 10 years? Or- mm-hmm. I, think, um, it, I think it has changed, and I think all of our art changes over time. I think that's natural as we, you know, we mature and, and you know, gain more life experience and gain more experience with painting. 
Uh, and I think for me, you know, one of my favorite artists is, is Dolly. So I, I love the surrealism. I love Magritte. I think I've kind of taken things into a bit more of a surrealistic kind of side, you know, a bit more metaphorical, um, a bit more foreboding. But at the same time, I'm injecting hope into every single painting that I do. Like, although the subject matter may be a bit dark, I always, always add an element of hope uh, in every single piece. Now, you've had some of your works, like you mentioned on your website, Alan Greenspan and De Groot. Uh, you've had, you know, your works available in other locations. How big of that? A big a deal was that? Like, that just seems like a. <laughs> That's that's pretty impressive. <laughs> uh, well, you're too kind. But, uh, <laughs> I apparently uh, Dr. Alan Greenspan has my piece hanging up in his office. Oh wow! <laughs> so that's what I've been told. Uh, I'm I'm honored. Uh, I just you know I, I don't know. <laughs> it, which which piece is it? The I did a uh, a portrait of him actually. <laughs> He has a great face. I I should say I make exceptions for portraits. If you have a lot of, I, I should I should be careful what I say. Sorry, Doctor Greenspan. If you have wonderful wrinkles yeah. and there's just like you have a story in your face, I would love to paint you. <laughs> so, all the wrinkly folks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and. Uh, People like me as well with big laugh lines and all that. Uh, I, I would agree. That, I mean, that is, I think that's why so many people do like like fishermen and people who mm. have like a weathered face, right? It is, mm-hmm. um, it is about the texture. So that's good. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that's good. And, and you've got uh, another piece coming up that you've been asked to do as well, because we have a, a brand new uh, campus, hospital campus being built here in Ottawa. Um, that's going to be a few years down the road, but uh, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, so I, I'm i really uh, thankful for this opportunity. So this is a commissioned piece by Dr. Francois Auclair and Jennifer Toby for the new Ottawa Hospital here. Uh, it's a painting I, I recently finished. Uh, this one, um, I really poured my soul into. There are certain pieces that demand a lot more energy, time, and focus, and this this was one of them. And at the time, it was supposed to highlight where we're emerging from the pandemic. There's there's light at the end of the tunnel. There, there's always hope for, for the world. And this, this piece, uh, it's a great Canadian landscape. There are these beautiful mountains, snow-covered. There's a semi-frozen lake kind of that draws the viewer out into this majestic landscape. And then there's this red red sunset, bright red, purples, pinks, with clouds, and there's a reflection in the in the water. It's called Night's Edge. And if you look closely, I, I did this at the end, actually. I, I always, I, when I finish a piece, I go, okay, I'm going to take a little break. It's like with writing or anything else, just take a break, come back. If you want to, you know, add, add some more brushstrokes here, details here, just think about it first. Don't rush it. So with this piece, I added in these little stars in the background because it, when I painted, I thought, is this is this a morning sunrise is this, or is this a night's sunrise, like a night um, type of scene? And I thought, I'm going to go with night. So if you look closer, there's these little stars peeking out behind this brilliant red sunset. So it's called Night's Edge. And if you look in the top right-hand corner, I painted in some storm clouds. 
just to kind of give it a little a little <laughs> edge there. <laughs> We're not out of the woods yet, but <laughs> it's it's trying to push its way back in, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I see it there on your Instagram. It's uh it's a beautiful piece. Absolutely love that. Oh, thank yeah. you. Yeah, it's uh, it'll be great to see that. There's some wonderful fo- uh, photographs and art in the current uh, hospital, and it would be uh, lovely to see your piece up in the in the new one as well. So that's that's great. I, I want to ask somebody like for somebody who's doing digital work, what's your output look like? Are you printing this? Is is there a scale that you're doing? Uh, are you targeting like thirty by forty inch? Are you uh, like and are you doing limited prints? Like how do you address kind of the the physical production of the digital piece. Yeah, so that was a bit of a learning curve. Um, thankfully, I have an excellent kind of state-of-the-art printer at uh, in Hamilton at the Smokestock Studios. And when I make my paintings, I, I make it as if it were real life. I use canvas, I use certain paintbrushes, oils, palettes, uh, and then I also select canvas size. So I try to make most of my paintings as if they were what I would use in real life, which is around 40 by 40 inches, give or take. And then uh, I save, you know, I, I, I give these files, I guess, uh, save them as TIFFs, TIFF files. I had to learn about all of this. <laughs> Maybe that's not very advanced, but for me it was. <laughs> and uh, um, and then they're, they're printed on um, very high quality uh, paper, no gloss, um, when you print onto canvas, because I'm extremely detail oriented when I paint, and you can't really appreciate this on my website unless you like have a giant screen and you really zoom in. A lot of my paintings have hidden messages in them, so and they're very small, and you can only see them when you really zoom in. So, so this printer is fantastic, and he he makes them such that whatever I painted is exactly what comes out. Oh, that's awesome. I know yeah. another artist that does that kind of stuff, and I think it's just so much fun. Like, I think that's, <laughs> that is cool. That is cool. Is there, uh, is there a message inside of uh, The Night's Edge? With that one, uh, not explicit. It was the okay. stars and the storm clouds. But with, um, you know, not Dolly, there's a message in the clock with the nothing to celebrate. There is a message in the stick of TNT. There, there's little things you got to zoom in. Okay, <laughs> we'll leave people with that. They'll they'll be discovering your Instagram here and clicking away. And <laughs> I see it. I see it. Have you considered teaching, or have you taught art? Yeah, I I, I wish I had more time for this. Uh, I I give um I give uh, some kind of art nights and art and medicine nights where I'll kind of do a step by step guide uh, and say, okay, you know. We're gonna make the aurora borealis tonight, and this is how this is block basic blocking and you know uh, perspective. And I, I wish I I could do that more. It's very rewarding and it's just fun, you know. With art, and I'm I'm you know this, you know the the biggest thing is you gotta you have to be encouraging, right? Artists are so hard on themselves sometimes, and you have to tell people, you know what what you made is. It's beautiful. It doesn't. It doesn't matter if it's you know smeared paint. It doesn't matter if it's you know the Mona Lisa. It's it's perfect. So I think that's that's pretty critical. Yeah, I think people need to realize the art they make is it's the only time it's appeared on this planet, right? Like it's it's their yeah. art, and if it doesn't 
leave their mind and their heart and end up on paper or a digital tablet, it goes to the graveyard. And that's why the graveyard's the most expensive real estate in the world, because all the good <laughs> ideas end up buried. So you need to get this stuff out before you die. <laughs> like it's People need to do this, right? And when you're doing these art nights, this is physical, like it's not digital? It, they back in the day they were physical uh i would love to to do them in person again soon there's there's one coming up here at the ottawa hospital where we're arranging um with uh, med students i hope to do more um well yeah in person's always you know it's better right if you right. can but what uh, sorry but what i mean by that is what tools are you you're not asking them to bring their cintiq tablets oh. they're using like <laughs> Like, are are, are they painting? Are they drawing? Like, what are you focused on as a matter of... So I did acrylics. Okay. uh, And some oils. I took an extra inhaler. (laughs) (laughs) I thought, you know, maybe once every, you know, six months, it's okay. (laughs) Right. Well, that's cool. That's cool. I mean, it's... And I've said this again and again. The opportunity for us to teach others what we know allows us to break down what we know and relearn it because we have to teach it, right? So we have to kind of, and I went through that. I, I've done my, I just did my first course, which is coming out. Uh, it will have been out by the time this podcast goes live. And um, I had found the same thing. I had to teach people how to draw a, a bullfrog. And in talking through it, I had to figure out how I draw. And it's different than the way other people draw. So I think as an artist, no matter what you do, if you've drawn or painted something today, you're a day ahead of other people. So share that, right? Share yeah. that opportunity and encourage others to do it. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, for sure. So are there other mediums or creative outlets that you want to explore? It seems like you're really not interested in trying a bunch of things in your life because, you know, <laughs> you just casually dropped that you were part of the Olympics at one point and then you've done all this other stuff. As well. <laughs> but creatively... Are there other things that you want to explore? I love art so much. I I want to write a poetry book. So I am very, poems are, you know, you have to have a lot of time and focus to write a novel. I, I am working on a novel, but, you know, that's going to take me a long time to finish. Poems I, I am very passionate about. So I'm hoping to get just a little small book of poems out someday, just, just for me. You know, maybe someone else will read it. I don't know, but uh, uh, poems. I, I think uh, it's just such a nice little tidbit into just putting your emotions out there, whatever it may be. Just a feeling, a moment. There, it's there, and then it's gone. So you know, that's why I really like poems. And I compose music. There's a, a piece I'm almost done. Uh, the problem with composition of music is that. I wasn't a, when I was a student, I, I wasn't a very good student with, uh, <laughs> because I, w- I would always just go do my thing. And, and, and my, my piano teacher was very frustrated because I think I only did like five lessons and, and she went, you know, this, I don't know if this is going to work <laughs> because she said, you just keep doing your own thing. And I only learned how to play with my right hand, not my left hand. So what I do when I compose piano music or music is I have to record myself playing with my right hand only on my on my phone and then I have another recording device and I overlay them and I and for people listening they're like you know there are software to do this yes but <laughs> it's just for fun right you know maybe someday I'll I'll get Sibelius or a proper program to 
compose, but yeah. <laughs> cool. That's cool. Not like you have enough on your plate right now, but. Uh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'd love to hear the answer to this. Where do you see yourself in 10 years? Ooh, let me think about that one. You know, I, I as cliche as this sounds, I, I really focus on, you know, what is Marisa doing right now? And because there's a lot of distractions in life and it's easy to get bogged down by, by what's going on. But I think long-term, I'm very interested in just continuing to paint, paint for myself, paint for my patients, and combine that in new and exciting ways with medicine and science. I think that's my, my long-term goal. I want to integrate these you know, disparate fields, bring them together in, in new and exciting ways. That's exciting. I don't think anyone's going to disagree with you on that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> on, a, on like a shorter term, what art goals do you have in the next year or two? I'm trying to make more time to paint. And I think, you know, it's as much as I love painting for for other people, it's important sometimes that you paint for yourself. Uh, that's very important too. Because, you know, what, what you're feeling obviously isn't always going to match with what someone else is feeling at any given moment. So um, I'm, I'm working on that, you know, A, making more time, but also not forcing it. That's important. You have, to, you have to be in the right mindset to paint. Just exploring what it is that, you're, that you'd like to, to get out at that moment. Just don't be so hard on yourself when you paint. Just it is what it is and, you know, move on. Fantastic. I have to ask you this question because of something you said earlier, but I'm just curious what the answer is going to be. <laughs> if you had a chance to have a lunch with a fictional person, who would it be? Oh, anyone alive or dead? Fictional. So fictional. It, could, it could be from anything. Fictional. Oh, my and, goodness. And, I, you know, because you've got a strong science background, it may be that you lean on that. I don't know. So I'm going to say just period, fictional or uh, nonfiction, somebody who's existed or is, exists now, like who would you want to have a conversation with? Oh, that's that's a tough question. That's very tough. Leonardo da Vinci. Yeah? Yeah. What would your first question be? <laughs> <laughs> you thought that was tough. Uh, uh, What's your first question? Oh, I'd probably be awestruck and my mouth would be hanging open and I, I wouldn't I'd be I don't even know what I would say I I would say probably hmm only one question well what would be your first one except you know how are you today <laughs> yeah <laughs> if you had to pick one job to do for the rest of your life would it be as an artist or a scientist Ooh. yeah would you want to hear the answer yeah. Okay. <laughs> from from Da Vinci, of course. Okay. <laughs> Would you be scared of one over the other? Uh, hmm. I think I honestly think you can't separate the two. So I would just be fascinated to know which one he would pick. If if as you know, if he had, if he was forced to pick one one field, what would it be? I don't know. I don't know what he would pick. That's that's interesting. We've come to that point where you, which was one another question I had, which is, can you separate the two? No. 
<laughs> at least not for me. I, I, I can't. I, I need both in my life for different reasons. So, Marisa, what does your dad think? Uh, I, <laughs> yeah, he, he actually phoned me before I came on to this amazing podcast, and he, uh, he said he was very proud of me. And he's, you know, he's, he uses this phrase, um, tickled pink, Marisa, tickled pink to be your father. Uh, I'm very fortunate. He's, he's been a very good role model and he's always been so supportive of my, you know, whatever it is that I'm working on. And he says, you know, just follow your heart and I'm very proud of you. That's awesome. Have you done, have you drawn Mickey Mouse for him again? <laughs> I actually did many times. Oh, really? I got, I, I got more and more realistic. <laughs> <laughs> what would it look like now? Would, would it get a bit weird? Oh, it would be. It would be very dark. It, it would be. I like. I. I would really in my head just now. It would be like one. Like I would think like a central light source, like above Mickey Mouse, and he's you know just kind of staring down, and there's he's very gaunt and. Maybe there'd be a real mouse at his feet, dead or something. I don't know, just something, something a bit weird, bit of a juxtaposition between that childlike wonder with something very adult, you know? Maybe I should put a spoiler warning just before you said that to tell your dad oh. <laughs> to, to this part because yeah. you've got a gift coming to you soon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. It's... um. I mean, it's it's so great that he's been able to see this journey and that you've got the support network. And what about your colleagues? What do they think of what you're doing in the art space? I'm very fortunate in that I really love the people that I work with. You know, there our, our division in infectious diseases at the auto hospital are very supportive. When I was a fellow or a resident here, they really, they actually helped promote some of my art at that time. And you know, I was thankful CBC did a story on on some of my paintings then, and the the whole department was great. You know, Dr. Jonathan Angel's been so supportive. He's a division head. Dr. Bill Cameron's been great. Dr. Francois Eau Claire. These are this is a very tight, uh, close knit division, and we all get along. And you know, we deal with very challenging cases every day, but we work together, and and we're all multi-dimensional people we have life outside of work and they've they've been tremendously supportive of of you know both my science my research program and my art and i know some of these people so (laughs) (laughs) that's i mean once again it's great about having a network and sometimes the network is the people that you work with as you know for for some of us who have day jobs that are different than what we're doing in the art space Uh, but it, it really is important to have a network around you and diversity in that network as well. It just it, it helps us to thrive, and I, I'm I'm so glad you found it both both at work and and through other creatives as well. So that's that's incredible. So I always get to this point. I love the listener to kind of walk away with a little bit of homework <laughs> because I think it 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 gives us something to move forward with. And sometimes that process of homework is a discovery for something more meaningful for cre- for the creative listening right now who's thinking, huh? And and if you are jogging and if you you are running. <laughs> Um, to get groceries or you're driving in your car, it's fine. You can do it when you get home. But uh, Marisa, I'm wondering what your homework is for the listener. Okay. So your homework is to get any piece of paper. It can be a fancy 
artist grade watercolor paper, or it can just be computer paper or you know the back of a paper bag. I don't care. And I just want you just to create something. Just it doesn't have to be you don't it, you don't even have to have a pre conceptualized understanding or you know where you want to go with this piece. Just just draw. Just make something. Just create something. And you know if you really want to take it a step further. You know, if you look at it, you look at the paper bag sketch, or you look at your 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 of course your fine piece of art, and you go, you know what? I don't I don't know how I feel about this. I don't I don't know what my style is. I don't know what I'm trying to make here. Just think about it. Mull it over when you're in the shower, when you're driving, when you're jogging. Whenever I'm making a piece, it's just there's always art. It's a tab that's always open. It's just it's just constantly on. And, you know, just look around in the world and go, you know what, this is something that moves me deeply, this piece. Or, you know, if, if you want to go to a library or you want to even Google, go to Google Images and look up some, you know, some of the old master's artwork or, you know, look at Pablo Picasso's more recent pieces or postmodernism or anything. Just find a piece of art that moves you and then try to emulate that to find out what your voice is as an artist and just keep at it any scrap piece of paper whatever it is you know around me there's 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 doodles everywhere it's just constant and then it's just over time you'll know what your style is as an artist you'll you'll appreciate it more you'll you'll know that whatever it is that you've created it's perfect and once you're there there's nothing that can stop you as an artist the, the sky's the limit. You're just you're just creating and you're having fun with it. And that's step three for homework. You have to have fun with whatever it is that you're making. Don't be so hard on yourself. That is a really good point. <laughs> People are too hard on themselves. I think that's why we need to think like a child. As an adult, we tend to think 10 steps ahead and look at all the negatives and take all the, the appropriate paths in the road that we think that's going to bring us to a better outcome instead of just enjoying the moment. And uh, yeah, we are too hard on ourselves. That's for sure. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so I wanted to thank you so much for coming onto the podcast, both Dr. Marisa Azad and Marisa Azad, the artist, which we know are not separate, but I thank you both <laughs> for being here. I think this has been wonderfully inspirational and the stories have, have meant a lot to me in hearing them. It makes me rethink why I do what I do. And I, I'm hopeful that it'll bring that thought to the listener as well in ensuring that we get this creativity out, that we share it with the people around us, whether it be friends, family, or people that we are interacting with. We have an opportunity here. We shouldn't judge ourselves too harshly and just enjoy it for what it is. And I've enjoyed your presence. I've enjoyed looking at your work and doing research on you. And I know that we'll bump into each other at work, but I just wanted to say thank you so much for making the time to be on this podcast. It's been two years in the making, and I'm so thankful that uh, we had this opportunity. Thank you so much. Honestly, it's been so much fun uh, talking to a fellow artist, and I'm truly honored to, to be on here. Well, thank you so much. I'm going to keep an eye on your work. Uh, as we all will. And uh, I encourage everyone to check out the show notes, as, as I always recommend people doing. There's going to be so many links in this one as well. And I want to wish you all the best for 2023 and continued uh, creative success. I know you've got the academic stuff sorted out, but <laughs> creatively, I, I wish you ongoing success in all of that. So thank you again. Thank you. Okay, take care. You can find Dr. Marisa Azad online at marisaazad.com and on Instagram at 
marisa.azad. Show notes, including links to everything Dr. Azad and I spoke about, can be found at drawinginspiration.fm slash 95. If you enjoyed the show, please follow, share, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This will help surface the podcast for others to enjoy. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Be kind to yourself and each other. We'll keep trying. Theme music for this podcast is Acid Jazz, provided by Kevin McLeod. Thank you.